Hello and welcome to Into the Wild, the podcast that brings you wildlife facts, conservation updates and nature stories from the professionals to you. This episode of Into the Wild is brought to you by Leica Sport Optics. If you're like me, money can be tight. I'm not rolling in it and yes, that's probably why I've got long hair. Save money wherever you can, right? So when it comes to binoculars, money is one of the restrictions. I don't always have the total amount up front and I could probably just pay it in dribs and drabs. Well, that's where Leica helped me. Leica have created a new way to shop. Introducing a 0% APR and a 9.9% APR on a large selection of items. Available online, this new program guarantees peace of mind when purchasing your bit of Leica kit. You even get to pick the right financing plan for you. You can read more about this program on the Leica Online Store UK. And now, on with the show. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Into the Wild. I'm your host Ryan Dalton. If you're a regular listener by now, you should know that. But welcome to today's episode. I feel like I've taken a week off. Um, I haven't. I just went on holiday last weekend. I went away for three days. I went camping. I had no mobile phone. Well, I did have it with me. I just didn't go on it. And I was in the middle of nowhere with my dog, Christina and a few friends. It was glorious. It was the first time in about a year and a half I have completely switched off. Sorry if I'm making you jealous with that. Don't worry. If you haven't had that yet, your time is coming. It will happen. Be patient. But welcome to today's episode. I'm back to it, ready to deliver a lot of nature, wildlife and animal chat your way. Before we get on to today's show, we will start where we always start now with 60 second nature news. I'm quite tired. I don't know how this is going to (laughs) go, but let's give it a go. Let's see how long this takes. You ready? Let's dive in to 60 second nature news right now. The Wildlife Trust in the UK have started their 30 Days Wild campaign, an event to encourage people everywhere in the UK to do one wild thing every day to connect and enjoy nature and the outdoors. From bird watching in the garden, tree hugging, rolling in the grass and lifting a log to find insects. Make sure to grab some photos to put them on social media with using the hashtag 30 Days Wild. Population of the world's most endangered feline species, the Liberian lynx, increases tenfold in 20 years to 1,111 in 2020 as per the latest census. Number of reproductive females, figure marking the viability of the species, increases from 27 in 2002 to 239 in 2020. Continued conservational efforts are critical to reach long-term goals of viable and safe populations of at least 3,000 to 3,500 individuals. The local government in Indonesia's West Papua province has revoked permits for 12 oil palm concessions that cover an area twice the size of Los Angeles. This move comes after a recent audit of palm oil concession holders found widespread administrative and legal violations such as lack of necessary licences and land abandonment. Activists have called the government to follow up on this by granting indigenous people access to the concessions so they can be managed in a sustainable manner instead of granted new licences to other investors. The West Papua government has vowed to do so, saying it's made various commitments to protect the province's remaining rainforests, which are increasingly threatened by the expansion of industrial agriculture, mining and logging. And finally, new data release shows that in 2020 there were 100 improvements made by fisheries as part of being certified to the Marine Stewardship Council Sustainability Standard. Wow, that's a lot of words. With over half of these related to endangered, threatened and protected species. Amongst the improvements were those made by an Australian tuna fishery which implemented electronic monitoring on all vessels to assess its risk to turtles and short fin mako sharks and a Canadian haddock fishery which implemented a new measure to aid the recovery of thorny skate which is classified as vulnerable. That's the end of 60 second thereabouts nature news. That was... um... That was a lot of words uh, in a lot of sentences in my eye, but I got through it. Apologies to my editor, Oscar, as always. He gets the 18 plus version of this intro. Today's show is an episode that you lot potentially may have been waiting for for a while. Months ago, we did an episode called Getting Ryan Into Birding Part 1, I called it, suggesting there was going to be more parts to this show. (laughs) 
and I did that show along with Jack Badham's Indy Green and Lucy Lapwing. And I'm pleased to tell you, after the episode getting pushed back from May to June, we are about to listen to Getting Ryan Into Burden Part 2. Now, the difference is the first time we did this, uh, we are all on Zoom, all four of us, and we had a good chat. Um, about birding, what it means to them, why they like it, and tempting me to go and give it a go, I guess. Part two is a little bit different. I spoke to Jack Badams first of all, then I spoke to Indy Green, and then I spoke to Lucy Lapwing. I spoke to Jack about the best types of environment to go birding, where should I go, what should I be looking for in regards to bird habitat. I spoke to Indy Green about recognising bird call. How can I pick up the birds just by my ears what can i listen out for how can what's the easy things to listen to and i spoke to lucy lapwing about bird identification through my eyes how can i visually do this what's the best way how can i use my binoculars to the best of my of their potential kind of thing so it is a bit of a different episode because also we recorded this individually whilst i was on location at hampstead heath Um, So there are a few interruptions from dogs running up to me to say hello. There are a few bird noises, mainly parakeet ones, in the background. But it was good fun to record again with Lucy, Jack and Indy. And this, my good nature-loving, eco-freak, bunny-hugging friends, this is Getting Ryan Into Birding, part two. This is a, this is exciting. Part two. You're the first person to talk to me about birding in the first time since eight weeks. Since part one. Are you excited to teach me more? I, I, am I the first person that spoke to you about birds in that time? Oh God, no, no. It's been the a inter- it's been a several period. times a day thing. <laughs> you can't escape it. Yeah, it's mostly the hate you're getting off people on Twitter whenever you raise your head up and say birds on all that i'm not allowed to i can't say i think the the damage is jack i've led myself down a path where i'm not allowed to say anything about birds ever again good or bad no and then i think the problem you've got yourself now into is it bleeds into anything else because i'm always, if you're <laughs> if you're praising like i'm i'm keeping an eye out and if i see you praising a moth i'm like <laughs> how can he praise a moth and throw shade at all of the bird kingdom moths? and then he's there being like oh look at this bee that i found it's like oh great <laughs> bees do way more things than birds do i want to i want to immediately come back with a witty retort but i can't off the you top can't of can you you can't no you can't and bees, that's where we would be screwed without bees <laughs> yeah. the thing, I, but like you said i can't because oh the parakeets are here i did hear that yeah yeah they are every, just to prove to everyone i am outside <laughs> i invited a few parakeet a few thousand parakeets yeah, I can't say anything now, because if I saw I saw a tawny owl on the heath during the day, very randomly, and I got excited about it and tweeted, and someone was like, I thought you didn't like birds. I'm like, I can't. <laughs> See, I can't, I'm not even allowed to enjoy them now, uh, which saves me a lot of time. Anyway, you're going to be talking to me about locations, good locations to go, how to be in the environment with birds. <laughs> There's a book title for you. You can have that. Um, I won't need it. Um, but to just for the listeners, to let you know, I'm in Hampstead Heath, well, Kenwood Grounds. So I'm sat in a lovely, I gave Jack a bit of a view of where I was. So yeah, to talk talk away. How do I do this? Where do I start? Yeah, well, so location is, I think it's something that people, people overlook it, but it's the most important thing when you're mm. looking for birds is where you're going to go to find them. Yeah. Um, and it can have a, a, a massive effect on and obviously how successful you are but i think people get it wrong for i think people get it wrong for the right reasons so i think people want to go if you're just starting out like you are you're starting your journey into birding <laughs> it's very tempting to go to an rspb nature reserve or an amazing place that's absolutely crammed with birds and that is great and you might have a you know, great time and see lots of different things but mm. you might see so much that it's all a bit daunting the best thing to do is to just start noticing what's around you i mean you're at Hampstead heath which is somewhere that you go all the time yeah go somewhere that you're familiar with and see birds like start looking closely at the birds that you have already seen but maybe not pay that much attention to whereas okay. if, you're, if you're making a really special journey to go to you know an amazing place where there might be loads of rare stuff then it's all going to be completely new whereas if that little bird hopping around on the on the grass is something that you see every day you're already familiar with it and then you can just start going okay well, what's that well it's a, a blackbird well why is that one black why is that one brown male and female you know you're already a bit familiar with them so yeah. that i think is a is a really and that's how most of us got into birding is it's just noticing the stuff in our everyday lives another thing to do i think it's always tempting when you go birding is to head to the woods don't go to the woods. <laughs> the woods are just like the woods. What kind in, of idiots go to the woods? <laughs> in a like in winter, 
there's nothing there. It's just bare. And it's yeah. Like you know, you, you you're always looking up at birds as well. Unless there's a feeding like feeding stations are great. Whether that's in your garden, whether that is at a nature reserve, feeding station is great where you can sit and look at birds. But if you're just wandering around the woods, most views you're going to get of birds is like up their undersides and there is no bird book that is just the undersides no. of little brown birds although that is an opportunity for you <laughs> there is there isn't a very niche market there <laughs> the um, undersides of birds with jack badams yeah, now i would say actually if you are going to go to the woods now is the best time because the birds okay. are singing which makes them easier to find but the mm-hmm. leaves aren't out and it's not hiding them so you know we're that's a good this. tip Yes, as we were, yeah, we're recording in mid-April, so that is correct. (laughs) Yes, so by the time you get to, oh, let's say kind of late May or whatever, the trees are in such full leaf that you might hear the birds, but finding them, you're going to, you know, you get neck ache by looking up so much. Whereas now, you've got a really good chance they're all singing uh, and the leaves aren't fully on. So you're actually in a pretty good place because you're in an area where you've got quite a nice (laughs) open view. And that's yeah. what you want. You don't be surrounded by trees so that the birds have got to be within like five meters of your face before you see them. <laughs> you want to have a nice open view because that's where you're going to get birds flying over. That's where they're going to catch your eye. For me, once again, another tick that I'm going to give you here, Ryan. Go doing on. the perfect thing, you're just sitting down. Just having a sit down, just enjoying it. A lot of people, when they're going looking for birds, are actively like thinking they've got to search them out. <laughs> but for me, the easiest thing to do is just sit down. Birds will birds will come to you, or they will. <laughs> if you sit, they will come. They will. They will because they're always there. And I think by walking, you miss quite a lot of them. That's actually yeah, I agree with that. That's a, that, I mean, that's the case with most animals, though, as well, isn't it? Like you can't if you, yeah. if you keep trying to look for them, you won't get. Especially with mammals as well, I guess. Should I have a quick scan with my uh, my, my Leica Ultravid HD binoculars? <laughs> <laughs> what what was that again, Ryan? What, what? Um, it was just my fantastic Leica HD Ultravid <laughs> binoculars that you can get um, yes. on LeicaSportOptics.com. <laughs> what can you see? Can you see? Okay. Anything? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> can you hear? Anything? Actually, it's really quiet today. I've got to be honest. Mm. Like it's okay. I, I've got a parakeet above me. Which I am a bit nervous okay. about because I am directly underneath that parakeet <laughs> and I know how liquid that sh- can be. Um, <laughs> I, I can hear stuff actually. The thing is, and I've said this to you before, I think because I don't identify it with sound, I don't hear the sound. Mm. So that's yeah, no, one that true. element. Yeah, I don't hear. I don't think I hear it until I stop and go. Oh, I can yeah. hear it, but God knows what it is. I think a minute ago as you were talking, and I didn't want to like get too excited because it's gone now. But I think I might have seen one of the kestrels fly across. I, th- I mean, I think could have also been a very large crow because it was quite far away. But it was <laughs> it did because it just flew over the tree cover, so it could well have been. Yeah. But apart from that, I can hear the odd dog. Yeah. Well. Yeah. We don't. It's too much fur. Too much fur on those. <laughs> Yeah, another thing about picking the location is obviously the time of day. And I mean, we're doing this now at, what is it, quarter past four? It's not yeah. the best time of the day, really. You do want to be out, not early, early in the morning. If you go out too early in the morning for the dawn chorus, once again, if you're, it's an amazing spectacle to listen to. But if you're actually trying to learn birds, then throwing yourself into the dawn chorus is a bit, you know, it can That's be a, a bit, bit much, much, isn't it? It's like trying to play violin by running into the royal orchestra <laughs> yes exactly yeah so so it's good to pick but but it's still good to stick to morning because that's when birds are generally feeding if they've had a good day feeding now then to be honest at this time they're not doing that much Might that's just true. Be sat around what about um, in summer though does it change in summer because there's quite a lot of bird activity in late afternoon in summer yes although it depends when you're talking about in summer so mm. august July, August can be really bad for birding. And actually, a lot of birders, it's a bit of a thing among birders that they then turn to moths and dragonflies because (laughs) birding in the summer... Oh, so suddenly moths. (laughs) I mean, not me. You wouldn't catch me lowering myself to that level. (laughs) You're not goth or emo enough for that. (laughs) That Sorry, uh, disclaimer, if you're into moths, you are not a goth or emo. You're your own person. (laughs) So uh, they... Because once all the leaves come out on the trees, as we've said, they become much harder to find. And then by yeah. July, they stop singing completely. They stop singing completely? Yeah, because most of them have finished breeding by then. So most breeding activity will be over 
by kind of June. Oh, wow. And then that's it. Depending where you are in the country, of course, the further north you are, the longer it goes on. Yeah, so if you were sat in your environment, would you kind of just wait to see the birds fly overhead or would you scan the trees like I'm doing now with my binoculars? It depends. I think if, I, if I'm... Crow. <laughs> crow. Got a crow. Get it on the list. <laughs> Got it. It depends on the... Because t- a lot of the time I go out and I just... I'm not... I'm not particularly birding. I just sit somewhere, enjoy mm. being outside, and then I just see the birds that come across. But yeah, I mean, if I'm actually out birding, you know, a few years ago when I was, when I was like more into going out and making lists every time I'd go out, then yeah, like you, I'd be scanning the trees to try and find stuff. When you go to, I mean, a great place to go birding if you're starting is anywhere with water. Because the thing you really want, I think, when you're starting, if it's little birds, you want to be able to see them closely. So bird feeders, places where they're habituated, or you want to cheat and just go for the big birds. Like, just go, <laughs> just go for ducks. And, like, we all, you know, we can all identify swans. But then there are mallards, tufted ducks, coots and moorhens. And if you're a real beginner birder, they're easy to find. They're really easy to find. Uh, or, or just, like, go to, I mean, in London, you'd be perfectly placed to go to the parks, look at the different gulls that are there. Oh, like, loads, yeah. Yeah. And if you just take your time and look at them, you'll see... Oh, that gull's got a different colour back to that gull. That one's a lesser black back gull and that one's a herring gull. So just go somewhere where it's easy, you know. Don't think you've got to go to some godforsaken, windswept, massive reed bed to, like, <laughs> seek out water rails and bitterns. Like, just go down somewhere that's really easy. You know there's plenty of birds. You're already kind of familiar with them. Go down with a book and start rifling through them. I, that's easy for me, though, because I'm... I part-time live on a boat. Easy, done, nailed it. When I did yeah. my RSPB Great Garden Bird Walk, I was on the boat, mate. I've never had so many gulls, moorhens, <laughs> coots written down <laughs> in my life. It's bright. We saw kingfisher as well, so we see the cool stuff. I think people forget about waterfowl when they're talking about birding. Mm. I don't think, because yeah. I really like waterfowl. For some reason in my brain, I disconnect that from birding. I, I completely agree, and I, I wouldn't know why. I wouldn't know why, no. I, you know, what reason is and I, I can't really put my finger on it but i think there's birds and then there's ducks <laughs> they're a different they're a, they're, to a lot of people they're very different thing and i don't know why yeah they all count and i did say it's maybe not good to go to an rspb reserve or something like that where you've got so many birds it might be a bit hectic but i love actually, the way you actively said you know what stop going to rspb reserve <laughs> but i am going to say that a, a really good thing to do you're starting is if you go to one of their wetland reserves where you can sit in a nice hide yes. and they've got a great big like family hides that have got all the pictures of birds on the wall it's not just the rspb you know all sorts of places do it and you can look out over a lake and they'll often come quite close and you've got especially male ducks they're really easy to tell the difference and they're yeah. great places just to sit with a bit of food have your picnic and, and watch all the different birds coming in they're nice they're big they're obvious they're, they're not going to... Because another really annoying thing about little birds is they're always flitting around. And when you're starting to bird, we've all been through how, so diffi- like, how difficult it is seeing a bird with your eyes and then going, putting the binoculars up, and then all of a sudden it's gone. That's like, what I mean. That's my point. Because that's why I asked that question. Because I'm sat here now scouring the trees looking for the best deal, buy one, get one free in Tesco's. So I can't find it. <laughs> Scan it, seeing absolutely nothing. But then I'm like, if I yeah. spot it, then I can't see it from the binoculars. And if they just didn't move around as much, it wouldn't be so ah! difficult. <laughs> and I do find if I'm pointing out something to a relatively relatively new birder, mm. um, if I'm saying, right, there's that bird, it's, it's in that tree, you want to go, you know, the classic birder's talk, which is up on the left branch and where it forks. And <laughs> that and... tree. Oh, that one. But, Got it. <laughs> but they are. But the, the temptation is to put your binoculars up straight away. I always prefer to have my binoculars down and just find the bird with my, you know, just with my eyes, um, and then put the binoculars up and try and find it. Uh, if okay. you walk around with your binoculars strapped to your face, you're missing, I think, an awful lot of stuff. It's it's tricky just learning how to use binoculars a lot of yeah, the time. So that, that is true. A lot of those little birds don't sit still long enough for you to do it. That's why, once again, great if you can get a feeding station that you can, you know, lock your binoculars onto that peanut feeder that the birds are going backwards or forwards. Or a wetland where ducks just sit and sleep most of the time. I like the idea of a wetland place. I quite like that. What's your favourite... OK, well, the last question on this section for environments when we're talking about birding. What's your favourite type of environment to bird in? Hmm. Definitely not a woodland. You can't stand a woodland. Well, I, so what I... The places I really like, they're really the overlooked places. It's the scrubby 
patches where yeah. you've got bramble and you've got lots of um, uh, kind of emergent hawthorn because that's why in the spring it's often packed with so many warblers um, mm. and amazing white throat singing black caps you know you, certain parts of the country that's where you, that's where you find your nightingales um, you get <laughs> linnet nesting and all so i can hear the parakeets again i know um, mate that's all you're gonna hear i mean we don't have them up here though so that's I'm, I'm, I'm a big recent convert to the parakeet. So. Oh, yeah. They, do you know what? In their own way, they do bring a bit of life to sometimes a barren environment in the winter. I did the thing where you... Um, I can't remember which park it is, where they come down and sit on your hand and you feed them. Peanuts. Oh, Regents. Regents and, Park, uh, yeah. I was so fickle. Yeah, and I completely changed my opinion on them right then. They're very beautiful... Like a parakeet, oh, a lot of parakeets. Like we, um, a lot of zoos now and a lot of wildlife parks do the rainbow la- lorikeet where you can yeah. feed them the nectar. And it is when you get that close to a bird, you do go, they're very delicate and very lovely. Mm. He's right above me. I can hear it, yeah. Okay, so you, you really like, shru- I guess the benefit of shrublands as well, like, like, you know, like you said, like the bracken and stuff, is that kind of like a giant bird feeder as well at some times, isn't it? Yeah, and, and you know, the more we're learning now about, there's all this talk of rewilding and all this kind of stuff, the more we're learning that actually the greatest concentration to birds are in these almost interhabitats, really, where you, yeah. it's this habitat where two habitats meet because that's where you find the greatest diversity of things where you've got all these overlapping niches and all that kind of stuff so i like a good a good like brownfield site that's just been forgotten about and you've got all these brambles and all this scrub because that's where you can find some really nice yeah that makes sense to me because just something that's got so much food on it and even from like you know if i look at it from an insect point of view that as well is somewhere where you just get so much action yeah. is it like a bramble bush or like you know like the flowering um, ivy and stuff like that there's always just so much there because there's so much food so i guess yeah it makes sense that birds are going to be very similar for that and that's like you said why it's so important well i i've gutted that there's not much out but it's been nice <laughs> it's always nice to get out even if you don't see much yeah it is nice and there is stuff to see obviously i've got the parakeets i mean i usually see jays in this field i'm quite surprised i'm not seeing any jays there's usually quite a few in here but um no, it's nice to get out. Thanks for your tips on the environment. No worries. I think I'm going to move on to part two now and see what Indy's got to say about bird call. Cool. Been a pleasure. Right, OK, Indy, you today, you're talking to me or you're teaching me about bird call. That's right, isn't it? I certainly am. So why is that a part of bird watching? Why is it? Why is identifying or listening out for bird calls important? So I think it's important because whenever, especially me, when I'm out bird watching. Almost all the birds I see are because I hear them before I see them. And for example, if I go out in Sherwood, especially in spring when everything's scrubbed over, you've got all the bramble and you hear something calling in there. It's great because you hear it calling. But otherwise, if it was just there, not calling, then I would never know it was there because it's in dense bramble and dense thicket and or, in, you know, right up the top of a tree or flying over. See it. So calling is really useful. Uh, one bird especially that I almost always pick up because of the call is the hawfinch. And they're basically quite a chubby chaffinch with almost like an iron-like bill, like proper steel. <laughs> prop. They're ab- they've got absolutely massive bills. And I remember Jack Badham, well, Jack actually telling me that um, I think he ringed, uh, he ringed one a while ago and it actually took a chunk out of his finger, this hawfinch. So that's oh how God. strong they are. Yeah, I know, it's cool. And they make this... <laughs> but a bit slower when they fly over. And if it wasn't for that, because they fly quite high over woodlands, then you simply wouldn't know they were there. But I see a lot because I hear them calling first. So it's really, really useful. That's cool. Can I just say chubby... Chaffinch. Chubby Chaffinch. Um, that's just my new favourite name to call anyone. Um, <laughs> that's an amazing name. But that makes sense, though, I guess, if you're not seeing them. It's gone really quiet here. Like, usually you can... I can... But I, this is what, one thing I don't get about bird watching or kind of <laughs> recognising birds when you're out and about is... How do you tell the calls apart? Because I, like, I obviously, okay, so parakeets, ringneck parakeets in London, obviously very common. And I can hear them because they're so large in numbers and populations. But other birds are just, it all merges into one. How do you tell them apart? This is the point I was going to pick up on. So when people start learning birdsong, they just think, right, I'm going to go to the, probably the, you know, Minsmere or something, or you know, Sherwood Forest, you know, some of the best reserves in the country for birds. And you think, right, I'm going to go really early when everything's singing. When you're just learning, yeah. that's the worst possible thing you can do. Because then, <laughs> like you say, because then you say, I mean, it's great reserves, but when you're trying to learn it, like you say, everything's singing in one, it sort of all merges into one, and it's really hard to pick out what is what and which is which, because it all just sounds yeah. like a, just a massive, it's glorious to listen to, but, I mean, I do something called point counts in Sherwood Forest, where it's like you have to do it within an hour of sunrise, and you have to stand at certain points in the forest, 
and write down everything you can see and hear in five minutes. And at that time in the morning, it's like, you know, four, three, five in the morning and everything's singing. And I sort of consider myself to know a little bit about birdsong. And even I really, really struggle because it's, well, I say really, but it's really, you've really got to pay really close attention. You're so modest, Indra. Oh, yeah, so you. modest. <laughs> well, I say really, but actually, really I, mean, easy. I mean, yeah, oh, it's simple. But um, you get my point because even <laughs> it's, oh, this is really bad, isn't it? But I think even at that, when we've got so much singing, it's really hard to pick out, again, I say really, but to pick out what is what and which is which because everything's singing. And when you take other people yeah. out and you say, oh, did you hear that black cap? And there's like loads of other birds singing, and they're like, right, is that it? Is it it now? No, fair play to him because everything's singing. It's so hard to pick out what's mm. what. So that's definitely a good tip. Don't go out early in the morning. Just sort of go out maybe midday when a couple of things singing and then just slowly sort of merge into it and then all of a sudden just, you know, get the explosion of bird song at 5am in the morning. But even then, just, just take it slow. There's no rush. Just take it nice and slow and don't necessarily go to the best places because you'll, you'll just get overwhelmed, really. The best way I found, I didn't know this is how I learned. I was with um, a friend and he was kind of showing me some bird calls in the area we were in. And he showed me, because you know my knowledge of birds. It's not like I know about birds. I just, like, identification is not my point. You know they exist, yeah. With birds. <laughs> I'm so, I, I definitely know they exist, Indy. There's, there, there's one right there. There's a jackdaw right there. So I know they're are. about, right? But I think hearing it and then trying to learn what it is is not how I... I need someone to go, you hear that noise right there, that's what that is. And so I literally need someone to point it out that knows. And when I was with my friend and I could hear... You could hear a chiff chaff. I didn't know that at the time until he said, "Oh, that that noise there, that going chiff chaff, chiff chaff." That that's a chiff chaff. And I was like, "Oh, well, if someone had said that, then I would have <laughs> known." So now I can pick that up. You do you know what I mean? Yeah. And then he saw, um, was it a green finch kind of do the green that kind of noise? Is that right? Yeah, yeah. yeah as if I they're mean, saying yeah. green. Yeah, exactly. Um, so those two birds, I learned. I walked away from that, going, "Well, I will hear them again now." So I thought. <laughs> What I realised in that moment is like, okay, that's how I learn. So, yeah, I first started learning birdsong, just literally just listening to a bird app. It's called, it was, I don't even actually think it exists anymore, so it was back in my day, so it shows you how old I am. It was um, called Tweeter. So, it's Andy, um, Andy, you cannot <laughs> use that phrase at the age of 15. I said that just Back in your day you. was no two weeks reason. ago, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I, I use an app called Tweeter, and actually what I learned is that Birds have a lot of different variations in their song and call. Like great tit have so many different calls and songs. I mean, there's the saying that if you hear a bird and you really don't know what it is, it's either a song to a song thrush, a great tit, or a chaffinch because they always make really funny calls. And like chaffinches in different countries, they have different accents and stuff. So you know, God forbid one wow. comes up here, you think, what, what's all this? But um, so I think <laughs> a good bit of advice would be. So maybe get a couple of bird song apps. Not don't sort of restrict yourself to one because yeah, yeah. Um, if they only record one sort of certain call, and you're gonna you're gonna go out and think oh, that sounds similar, but it's not quite what this is. So get yourself a couple, and I just listen to them non-stop every single day. And then all I did was just go out in the garden, and listen to stuff, and think, oh, I reckon I recognise that. And then slowly but surely, got <laughs> made my way. Would you have a favourite bird call that you like to hear? I could say goshawk, but the woodlark. And I think I actually imitated this on our first ever episode together. You did. Mm, I'll, I'll do it again if you like. I'll yeah. I'll have to be paid double, but I'll do it again. <laughs> God, he's got a talent, this lad. I absolutely love it. Thank you. It's such a lovely call. It's very recognisable as well, isn't it? Oh, it's gorgeous. I mean, whenever I, because the big Heathland Reserve just next to Sherwood and I, you know, everything, all right, right now they're singing. I can go out there pretty much almost most days and just hear that song. And they do it mm. like towering really high, kind of like a skylark, but they sort of do it circling so you can be on the paths and they'll be right above your head just absolutely singing their hearts out. And sometimes, especially if you're on a post, if they're on like a fence post or something, like I level with you, and then all of a sudden the one starts singing right next to you because they really don't really mind people that much. And they start belting it out. It's, it's quite a shock. Cause it's like, whoa, what the hell is that? <laughs> it's, it's just this woodlark. So he's just gone... <laughs> right next to you. And it's like, whoa. Because I remember I was out in Sherwood a couple of days ago and I thought I'd been shot at because there were loads of great spotted woodpeckers drumming next to me. It was just a... Like, what? I, I genuinely, like my... I was so scared. <laughs> You're really using your parabolic mic too well. That's what you're yes, doing. Yes, I am. <laughs> yeah, and a um, big shout out to Nina Constable. Join the campaign. 
Yeah, have you have you found that that's changed the game for you? You know, the parabolic mic and or making them the DIY ones has really caught on in the last month and six weeks and so. And then even I've made one. Well, Christina made me one for me because I'm not good at <laughs> DIY. Well, you had it on your I'm head. Good at that this. Was a, that's where you went wrong yeah. the first bit. That's where I went wrong. I'm good at this stuff. I'm good at talking uh, about nature. <laughs> Christina's very good at DIY. So she made me one. Have you found that that's really kind of you know, no pun intended, but opened your ears and your mind up to some new bird calls that you weren't normally hearing. I mean, I've, I've always lo- loved and listened to bird sound all the time, but it's just nice to be able to, even if you don't do anything with it, it's nice to just be mm. able to record it. I know I was chatting to Lucy Lapping about it. She just says she loves it. She takes it, it's like her new binocular. It's just like she takes it everywhere. Wow. And I do as well. It's just really nice just to be able to you know, point that bowl at something and it picks up birdsong <laughs> amazingly. And I, I mean, I listen to, I've got a recording of a woodlark it's about three minutes long and I just listen to it every night before I go to bed. Nice. And it's just, it's just so lush. It's just, yeah. it's, it's just, just to be able to record stuff like the crossbills twittering up against the trees and it's just, it, it has, it has definitely changed the game for me and a lot of other people like yourself. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm buzzing to use it. I'm, I'm, I am, I'm not going to lie, I'm one of those conscious people that was like, because the thing is, Indy, where I am, Hampstead Heat, it's a very pretentious area, and I'm fine about saying that on the podcast. It's a lovely area for nature and wildlife and green space, but, you know, the people are... <laughs> they're lovely. Um, but you do see the weirdest things up here. So we last year in lockdown, there was an orchestra randomly playing in a field. You've got people doing judo. You've got people dancing around trees, silent discos. It's a weird and wonderful place. So I just don't want to join in with that weirdness of carrying around a parabolic mic. Do you know what I mean? It's going to draw attention and someone's going to go, oh, look at that. Oh, I mean, I mean, we, we have some some strange stuff happen in Sherwood because it's obviously such a popular area because of the old fake Robin Hood and stuff. But I, <laughs> <laughs> he's not real, um, sorry, kids. But I mean, I remember me and Jack going for a walk one day to look for some, you know, birds in Sherwood, lesser spots, lesser spots of woodpeckers, and then I got something yeah. there was like a six k run going through the forest that morning. I was like, oh, okay, right, never mind. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I yeah, I'm, so I definitely get looked at with ooh, the parabolic ooh, as well, actually. Ooh. Oh, what have you got? You're not going to find it exciting, but I like them. It's a J. Oh, no, I do find it exciting. Now I've got a Labrador. Hello. Hello. (laughs) This is the best bit of the podcast so far. (laughs) Hey. Well, thanks for the kisses. Thank you. (laughs) That's not even your Labrador, is it? That's not, no. No, but it's lovely. This is what I like. (laughs) You're like, back onto the birds, back onto the birds. I had a J. You had a jay. Jays are stunning. I know. They're very pretty. They're very pretty. There's something moving behind me as well. There's definitely something behind. It's not another Labrador. But I swear <laughs> I keep hearing something. In the, there's, there's rabbits in this field. So I keep thinking if I sit here still... Ooh, food. Like, I don't, <laughs> yeah, so, do you know what? Joking aside, you've got everything you need on Hampstead Heath to support raptors. Yeah, orchestras, banjos, Orchestra. Labradors. You've got small dogs, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah it's, do you know what? I'm actually surprised how quiet it's gone around here. So when's the best time of year for bird call? But again, this is the this is the thing you don't want to trouble yourself with because like International Dawn Chorus Day is in I think it's early May. And that's like mm. the, when everything's here. Like all the African migrants are here and everything's singing. Um, but that's not necessarily when you want to go. So I think Lucy had a good idea with starting her YouTube bird song lessons kind of early in the year when you can kind of nail down the sort of the resident UK yeah. birds and then slowly learn the other ones. So I'm afraid you're going to have to sit idea. indoors for a year and then come and then try again next year. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad we've done the podcast at the right time. Yeah. May time is is a good time to hear many a bird call, but if you're learning them, you want to start earlier in the year. Yeah, if you're learning them, I would probably start a bit earlier because otherwise, like I said earlier, you'll just be completely overwhelmed. But if, if, you know, if you have no interest in learning them and just want to hear it, which a lot of people do because it's just nice to hear it and not have the... I mean, sometimes even stresses of trying to ID stuff all the time, just lay back and hear it, then may is definitely yeah. the right time. Okay, well, I'm looking forward to that then because this field... Oh, I'm going to sound so crass. This field does come alive. There's a wren singing. you got a wren. you got a wren, Ryan. Now, now. Okay, that's over in the other field. But I can hear it, I ah, think. That's it, that's a wren. So 
So it's quite a scattering of calls. It's scattering. It's very noisy. It's this, it's like, again, like when, when the woodlark starts singing next to me and the same with the wren, it's like, whoa, hang on a second. And they, I, I, I had to tell a wren to shut up the other day because I was trying <laughs> to record a crossbill. I had to tell a wren to shut up. <laughs> and, and it did. Um, um, I just, it, there was one just belting it out on this twig next to me. And I was trying to get a recording of a crossbill. And... Yeah. Uh, again with my parabolic and it just wouldn't stop singing and you couldn't hear the crossbill because crossbills when they do the little sub song call a sub song song they're quite quiet and this wren just wouldn't shut up so I just turned around and said shut up mate seriously I need to record this crossbill (laughs) and it just wouldn't (laughs) stop (laughs) what's um okay here's a question for you what what bird call do you hate the most um what bird call do I hate the most I think people think you would say something like a pigeon or a wood pigeon but pigeons actually I think is an iconic well, no, I was, do you know, I was just thinking pigeon, but I, but my, my favourite pigeon call is the, which is, it's family of pigeons, it's called a stock dove, and it's my, oh, it's one of my favourite pigeon calls, because uh, <laughs> it's so I was great. waiting for I the beat it. to drop, that was amazing. <laughs> I know, I saw you boogieing, so I thought I'd carry I know, on. I was getting into um, that. <laughs> <laughs> um, my least favourite um, is only because it's annoying because you can't tell which is which. Yeah. It's the the garden warbler and the black cap sound incredibly similar. Oh, uh, okay. It's really hard to tell which is which. Yeah. Um, but their calls are actually all right. I can't think of a good one. I'll, I'll, I'll tweet it when it goes out. I'll have a good think, but Do I it. love this doctor. What about a crow? Um, the only thing that annoys me about crows is they pester goshawks too much and they don't deserve it. I would have known that you would have brought it back round to goshawks at the end. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, okay, so before we end this section of part two about bird call, is there anything else you can tell me about bird call that I need to know before I come on the final stage of part three? Is there anything else I need to know? Yeah, just enjoy it and don't pressure yourself. Don't sort of say, right, I need to learn 20 bird songs by the end of the week because you won't enjoy it and something like that you want to enjoy it and take it slow so just don't don't put yourself under pressure to do it just take it nice and slow learn one by one nice well Indy thank you I'm going to move on and talk to Lucy now about the look of birds <laughs> how to visually ID that's where these binoculars are going to come in here Stella, um, she needs to tell you how to identify some goshawks because if you see them you've got to know where they are I mean I'm sure you'll shout it <laughs> loudly in my face when I see one so don't worry I will <laughs> thanks for your help mate no worries enjoy right part well part three of part two this is what this is the final part so i've spoken to jack about environment of birding i've spoken to indy about bird song and how to recognize and what i'm looking out for now we're talking about the actual birds themselves what they look like with Lucy. Yeah. Are you ready to teach me? I am. I am ready indeed. <laughs> okay, so I'm sat here in Kenwood Grounds, lovely field environment, surrounded by forests. How the hell do you spot a bird and how the hell do you tell it apart from any other bird? <laughs> um, so first of all, you've obviously got the best tools to hunt, pair of bins. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So the binoculars you're only going to use when you've located a bird. So typically they are your focus instruments mm. to zoom in and have a right good nosy up in that bird's kind of grill. What I tend to find is, is best is to kind of look at an area and this will kind of combine with the factors you've learned from the other two in terms of pinpointing birds to begin with and knowing where to look for them in your local area okay so the more you start to understand and it's this is a a case of learning as well the more you start to understand a bird the more you know the best places to look for them and so on so if i've got a selection of trees in front of me like the ones i can see in the background of you there you can kind of do this like Mm. soft gaze (laughs) where you look at an area (laughs) and you kind of go into an almost trance which sounds a bit silly but it's like you go into this kind of like a true kind of mindful state where you're picking up micro movements, you're picking up those little flits, those little shadows darting, those little movements, um, and where the birds are. And once you kind of tune yourself into that, it almost kind of feels like you're activating like a hunting reflex in your brain. You, you can pick up on it. And the more you get into birding, the more you start noticing that. So you start wherever you are. Like I'm doing it right now. I've just, I've just literally realised I'm doing it right now. I'm talking to you. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, the listeners won't know, but you were just staring at them. <laughs> looking out the window as I'm talking to you like well, no, that is at the top of the tree and, um, and so you'd be in meetings you'd be driving the car you'd be on the bus whatever and you're always but and like the birding never stops because you're always just hyper aware of what's going past and you, you just become accustomed to picking up that movement so it's starting from the big before you zoom in 
And that's, that's, that's quite similar with animals. Like, animal people are like that anyway, aren't they? Because yes. I'm like that. If I'm walking in the woods and I hear, you, you'll hear a scatter yeah. that no one else hears. And you're like, what the hell was that? Yeah. And just the, the, the whole practice of stopping and pausing really helps. And that's the same with if you're looking for birds or creepy crawlers or whatever. Stopping and just sitting still and staring at a spot. Because there's things that when you're you know, in a hurry or you're walking past in a hurry, you won't notice. And if you just wait for it to come, everything kind of starts crawling out the shadows and you see stuff. So, yeah. And then, obviously, as and when you find a little bird, that's when you can start the process of identifying it. That's the hard bit for me, mate. That is it. <laughs> I think, well, no, actually, bird call is the hardest bit because my eyes are better than my ears. Do you find it, I don't know, when you first got into, like, birds and, like, ideeing, was it better to, like, try and... I oh, know you can't try and spot males, but, like, te- teaching yourself the difference, was it easier to go with the male birds? Now, that's a really interesting subject. We could do an entire podcast on that because... <laughs> and this is really interesting. There's evidence to show that the communication around birds and bird identification is actually slightly steeped in, in kind of, I mean, sexism is a strong word, but there's, there's uh, sexist elements of it in that the male of species, because they're typically more colourful, are always presented mm. first and foremost and as the, the main bird of the species, even though it's literally 50-50. Yeah. So if you get like a bird book, have I got a bird book here? Have a look at a good example of one. Why would you not? So there you go, red start. The male, like, I can't see myself, but the male's in the forefront, the female's behind. <laughs> yeah, and he is, that. yeah. And half the time with ducks, you know, the male, the big sexy male mallards yeah. at the front and the little brown jobby females at the back. Yeah. And it just, it means that just because it's not as visually attractive, the female, according to our human whims, doesn't mean mm. it's not important for us to be able to identify it and it does affect our identification skills because we can ID the males because we're showing them all the time and the females, you're not taught that nuance as much. So That's really interesting. Do you know what? That's funny because on we did an episode with Jack Ashby about natural history museums and he said it's the same with museum displays is that the male displays are always the males fighting or up there at yeah. the front and the, male, the females will just be sat behind. He said it's something you don't realise. Until someone points it out, and then you're looking at museums like, oh my god, look. Yeah, exactly. And you know, a lot of natural history has typically been a male pursuit. Okay, so so this, I don't know where to start with this when we're talking about like the visual side of birds. How do you think the best, with someone getting into it, and I know we kind of always talk about like pick a patch and learn it, but is there any other tips about like learning bird identification through sight? I'd say just kind of immersing yourself in it. Mm. Things can seem really, really daunting at first, so don't be afraid to get stuff wrong. And it can be quite difficult when people shame you for getting things wrong. But um, <laughs> yeah. I'd say, you know, if you've got a bird book or a bird guide like app or anything like that, just, you know, when you're having a brew or whatever, walking along, just, just have a, a look through it and familiarise yourself. And birds are quite neatly categorisable, that's a word. Is that a word? Um, <laughs> no, I know. Well, I know what you mean. Yeah, you can split them into gangs of groups of things that look similar or are going to be found in the same environment or um, are of the same family when we're talking about taxonomy. And I'm going to introduce you to the best bird word in birding, which is the concept of jizz. Jizz? Jizz. <laughs> the concept of jizz. Have we just massively, <laughs> massively changed the topic of the conversation? <laughs> yes. So spelled. Well, why is nature like this? Why, it, like, do you know how much I have to bite my lip when we talk about nature and wild? Well, with birding, we've already got tits and shags and woodcocks, so we might as well go the whole hog. Why we go for? <laughs> <laughs> okay, I can't believe I'm about to say this, Lucy, but talk to me about jizz then. Okay, so it's jizz spelt G-I-S-S. Just people pronounce it jizz just to be hilarious because everybody thinks it's funny. So it's actually gis or jizz, and depending on who you ask, it either means general impression of size and shape or general identification by size and shape and it's this concept of i I like to just call it more like a vibe it's like looking at birds and picking up the vibe they are giving and so there's, Mm. there's a general vibe you can get off any bird and it's combining all of these factors that that help you deduce what it might be so okay. what, you'll, what you'll learn is that some birds have very distinct behaviours that you can see. So things like fly catchers literally catch flies. So they'll sit in a branch and they'll literally go, whoop, like fly up into the air, catch a fly and jump back down again. And they'll do that round and round and round. Mm, so okay. you, you can see a bird's jizzing a fly catcher before you're close enough to, to see it in detail through your bins. You'll get used to it, honestly. I used to laugh every time I said it as well. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to get used to it. I'm just saying that now. <laughs> and so... Yeah, and so it's taking things like, you know, the general way the bird holds itself, its beak, its size, uh, whereabouts in the tree actually is and what it's doing, or if it's on the ground. You know, it's all these different things and it kind of gives you a hint. And it's kind of, I like to think of it as the same way you relate to a friend or 
a person that you know is that you start to recognize their mannerisms, their voice, mm. uh, the way they look, the way they hold themselves, yeah, the way they yeah. walk, that kind of thing. And the more you familiarize yourself with birds, you can feel yourself advancing. So even if it's a species you've never seen before, you can read stuff from it and hopefully deduce what it might be. I really like that, though. I really like that from a more of a educational way of identifi- identifying a bird, rather than just going, that's that, because I know what it looks like. Yes. You know in the behaviour of it, you know why it's doing it and what it's good for. And yeah. there's, there's more, it gives it more kind of nuance about the bird, more complexities yeah. about it. And it helps like you that. in that process of... I mean, I'm saying this as somebody who started as an adult from absolutely zero. Like, I struggle to tell the difference between a blue tit and a great tit. Yeah. So I've, I've started from zero and worked my way up and I'm still very much learning, you know. I've, I'm not a mad twitcher, so I've only got, I think I've got over 200 and something on my UK list. It's not a big list mm. compared to the size of some out there. Um, <laughs> but, like, there's still lots of birds for me to see and there's things that I've seen where I've perhaps not expected it. Um, I remember seeing my first yellow wagtail mm. about three or four years ago now, maybe four, maybe five years ago now, and it was a juvenile... And so they're a little bit duller than like the yellow adults. And it was in a place just down the road here that I never even heard of a yellow wagtail being. And so I could see this bird, and you know, I've seen them in books, but I was just like, eh. But then at the same time, <laughs> it was behaving like other wagtails. It, it was jizzing wagtail because it had the same stance. It had that long tail. It had the little bob going along to it, wagging its tail. And it reminded me of a pied wagtail. And I was like, it's got to be a, a yellow wag, like it has. And it was. So, yeah, you pick it up. What's your favourite bird to look at in the UK? Tell you what I've been loving recently, and this isn't my favourite, but something that I've absolutely loved recently is goosanders. They, they've got, uh, the distinct thing is they've got a super, super skinny, super long red beak that turns down at the end, like slightly, like a hook. Oh. Hook bill. And then they've got this ridiculous kind of like uh, punk rock spikiness at the back of their, their hairdo. Oh, I know them. Yeah, I know goosanders yeah. then. Yes. I think that's what I was getting confused with. You know what? The females are better. Female goosanders are superior because they've got this like bright ginger hairdo and like a grey back. And the males have got white standard um, with like a glossy green <laughs> head, which, you know, mallards have done that. So get something original. Okay, yeah, but, yeah. yeah, the female goosanders are. Oh, there's, <laughs> there's loads of them on the river near me. And I just, there's something about going down early in the morning and the sun's behind them and they come up from under the water and the way the water flows down their head and off the end of that red beak and it drops off the little hook tip oh it's perfect yeah so, okay so so that goosanders are one of your one of your favorite to look at at the moment that's nice yeah and then, you know what i love a pied fly catcher pied fly catchers good and a red star well the first time i ever saw a red star it was when i was ill and i'd, I'd had chemotherapy a couple of days before and then gone for a walk mm. and <laughs> for some reason um <laughs> i got this like the worst nosebleed i've ever like ever to the, had to this day i think just my body was like oh, Jesus. and it was just would not stop and it was like gushing out but at the time my friends were like lucy you need to plug up your nose but there was this red star at the top of a bush and i was like well the red star. <laughs> like so determined to see it you are one of the most <laughs> inspirational nature nuts i've ever spoken to like <sighs> to have chemotherapy and then have a massive nosebleed and then you're like no there's a bird in that tree I can't. it was really good i mean if you've seen a red star you'll understand because they're like little little pirates i think that's what upsets me a bit about getting into bird as well because so many people talk about different birds and then people say like have you seen one of them and i'm like that's Maybe I really wish I knew. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That's I, I really yeah. want to be like. I wish I might have seen a chiff chaff. I heard one. I know. I now know what chiff chaff sound like. Yes. Because <laughs> um, someone showed me. So that's that. I now know to look out for that. But yeah, it's that bit of like I want to be able to see that we have got parakeets flying really low at the moment. I wish you could see it. Nice. What do, what's your stance on parakeets? Um, they don't seem to be causing too much trouble. The problem that people are saying is that they are another squeeze on the precious resource of uh, cavity nest sites, the cavity nesting bird species. So they nest in holes, so they squeeze other birds out, and they're artificially propped up because they've got this kind of tame element to them. They just guzzle bird feeders all the time. Um, Oh, that is definitely true. (laughs) So we're artificially keeping a high population of a bird that's then putting pressure on native birds. I get that. Yeah. Or they tend to be mostly dwelling around urban areas where yes there are birds that nest in counties in urban areas but they're not some of our most threatened ones like lesser spotted woodpeckers and red stars and things yeah. like that they kind of keep to the willow trees up here to be honest 
Yeah. Anything willow or like that's soft like that, they kind of just keep to them. Yeah. Okay, so any other tips for identifying by... Do you, would you find just reading books help? Does that genuinely help you? Just looking at the pictures and just kind of taking in that, that overall character. So at first, you, you very much, as a bird watcher, you very much focus on colour and you try and remember that, but it's, it's about taking in all of those factors. So if, if you think of two birds that you know really well, like a robin and a blue tit, yeah. just think about the differences between them. So robins have these really big eyes um, and they're really similar to uh, like stone chats, which I think they're slightly related to that have this, this really big eye. And if you compare that to like the size of the eye of a blue tit, tits have these smaller eyes and they have like shorter, stubby little beaks yeah. compared to like the longer beak of the robin. It's looking at different things like that. Things like have finchy beaks or things look a bit thrushy and that kind of thing. So you can help mm. narrow it down. Um, mm. And I'd say just one of the best things you can do to push yourself if, you, if you're finding yourself kind of stagnating is to have a list. And I don't mean that in a competitive sense. Yeah. A, com- a competition with yourself how much stuff can you see on your doorstep because then once you've ticked something off like you said you're not sure if you've seen it but if you get to that point start now start a 2021 list now okay and see how many you can see in a year that kind of so that's what did it for me I, I worked on a nature reserve and there was three of us who didn't really feel comfortable with our birds and we were like right let's learn our birds we'll go into a competition and we'll have a year list um, and it didn't involve running around the country to go and see all these rarities but it involved just what turned up on the doorstep and it was really really just useful because it made you compare birds that you perhaps hadn't taken notice to before brown jobbies and waders that are all you know brown birds with long legs things like sandpipers and green shanks yeah and that kind of thing. i'm gonna do that i'm gonna make a list i'm gonna let you know how it improves month by month <laughs> so i've got multiple lists and none of them are traditional birdie ones in that they're not you know i've got a life list for the uk but i don't mm. quit birds I have a, an in-the-garden list. I have a from-the-garden list. So they're two different lists. <laughs> so in-the-garden is that it is. Oh, okay, it, the and from, in the garden. you can see it from. from. the garden okay. is like, I can be stood in the garden and I can hear or see it. And then I have that's a the, That's the Indy Green is, approach. Like, oh, yeah. I can see it way over there. <laughs> over there. And it's like a swoon. I've got a patch at the end of the road. So I've got my patch list there. Cool. Um, and then I do a year list every year. And then I've got my life list. So... It just makes it really exciting. Mm. If you think of it, if you think you do a year list every year, January first, you are so excited when you see that first wood pigeon. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> I like that because um, it's starting from nothing as well. You're literally starting yeah. from I've got nothing. Let's go and see. Let's go and see. That makes it easy for me. Yeah, really. Yes, exactly. But you could start now. Nice I one. You get ten before you get home. Okay, well, do you know what? That's a good way to end part two, I think, is to give Ryan the homework of starting a list. And then when we do part three, I can update you all with where it's going. Yeah. Let's do that. Well, Lucy, thanks so much for your help and for Bird ID. Lovely to chat to you. You too. Thanks again for listening, everyone. If you'd like to keep up to date with the projects and work Indy, Lucy and Jack are working on, you can follow them on social media. Their tags are in the write-up of this show. A reminder that any views or opinions expressed in today's show belong to the person who said them and do not represent Into the Wild or anyone that we have worked with or are affiliated with. If you enjoyed today's show or you're a fan of Into the Wild, then you can say thanks by buying me a coffee. Our Kofi link is in the write-up of this episode. We also now have merch available. Say what? Our T-Mill link is in the write-up of this show along with how to get in touch with us. Into the Wild Pod at gmail.com or on social media, Into the Wild Pod on Twitter and Into the Wild Podcast on Instagram. You know the drill. If you just want to say hello, share some thoughts on an episode, or let me know what you want to hear about next. Until next time, keep well, stay safe, and live the good life.